You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Happy Sunday. Happy World Cup Sunday. I'm so impressed. If you don't know, there's like the biggest soccer game in all of, uh, you know, the world is going on right now. They conveniently scheduled that over uh, our worship service, but that's okay because we've got DVRs and things like that. We're going to try and focus. Um, and I've, un- unfortunately, I was, I was sitting up here and I realized I left my phone in my pocket and it has these like um, soccer highlight buzzings going on. So through the whole sermon, I may experience some buzzing in my, my pants that uh, is alerting me to something's happening out there. I'm going to try and stay focused. Well, you know, um, many of you know that um, I get a few days, uh, uh, two times, I get a few days a year um, to go and study and pray and just be away. It's so good for my soul. It's so good for my mind. Um, the church makes space for me to do that, and it's, it's so wonderful. I just got back from a week up in Wisconsin where I'm doing some schoolwork and uh, wore my cassock all week and prayed the office with my brothers and sisters up there. It was wonderful. Um, and one of the things that naturally happens in those environments is when we sit down for a meal or later on in the, in the evening, we'll talk about, so how's it going? What's going on in your church? And every time I t- try to describe how sweet our church is, I love our church so much, um, you'll notice that my stories don't have really anything to do with like what I've done or what I'm doing or really what y'all have done or what you're doing. The stories that we tell are always about what God has done. And often we're, it sounds like, you know, I don't, I don't know how to explain this, but this is what God has done in our lives. Those are the best stories, at least. And those stories are certainly here at Res. Some of you may think, of course, the priest is going to say that about the church, you know. And so some of us may not totally get what I'm saying, and that's okay. Um, but for others, it, we know that this is actually really true. This church, even Res is a product, is a result of God's kindness, his grace to us, isn't it? It's a gift. And what do I mean by that? Not just abstractly. You and I, people in this room have experienced what God does to people who are broken, what God does to spiritually dead things, worn out lives, people who've been beat up and abused and twisted up and mangled by life and others. Maybe some of you, I get a front row seat to all of this and I get to see every single life like this. We get to, we get to see people in, in, the, in what God does with people whose lives have been twisted up by sin, whether it's the sin of other people or their own sin. I've seen um, people whose lives like my own stubborn, stubbornly head in one direction, knowing that that's not the direction God is inviting them to go again and again. God brings us back into this right way with him. And, and all the while, all of these, these stories of brokenness and lostness and just kind of mangledness in this room, God does something to us. He does something for us. Scripture has this really great phrase. We're going to get into it in just a minute in our reading from Ephesians where it says, Paul says, but God, but God. Out of pure love and mercy and kindness, he rescues us wherever we are. He shows us another way to do life, to be with him. He turns our life around and makes them beautifully whole and alive in Jesus. That's that's what's happening at Res. 
And when I share these stories with other people, these are the stories that we tell. He carries us, in other words, from death and all of its friends and all of its forms to resurrection, to new life. I know this is true, not because only I've seen it and experienced it in others, but it's true in my own life. This is what God has done with me. This morning, as we continue right where we left off in Ephesians, Paul, we find him encouraging this church community to become what they are as the church by remembering where God found them. Can I say that again? This is so important. Paul's reminding this church, be who you are. Do you know that you're the church? The way that he argues for this is by reminding these people where it is that God found them in the first place. Do you remember where God found you? Again and again, not just the first time, but like this week, do you remember where God found you and brought you to himself? Those once dead, now living people that have been gathered as a community of Christ. This is the church. This is our story. In the second chapter, this is what Paul is doing, reminding them you were once dead and now brought to life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at this, or if you have your scripture journals that we've been using through the series, uh, follow along with me if you can, and I'll read these verses for us. Verse, beginning in verse 1, I want to take our time and look at this. Verse 1 in chapter 2 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 2, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of of disobedience. Now for Paul, this isn't just a figure of speech, like you were dead in sins and trespasses, trespasses and sins. It's not a figure of speech. These are two very carefully placed and selected words. Trespassing is a misstep, a wrong step, a crossing of a boundary, even intentionally, whether intentionally or not, this misstep heading in the wrong direction. And sin is like missing the mark or not living up to a certain standard. And so what Paul at once, with both words, he's covering both the passive and active aspects of our spiritual deadness. Those things that we say in the confession that we have done and left undone, Paul is capturing that whole idea right here. The the sins and the trespasses that you don't even know you've made, and even the ones that you know straight up what you were doing when you were doing it. All of that stuff is what Paul has in view here. And all of it separates us from the life of God. When God found you, Paul says, you were, you were well on your way committed to this path. You were like miles down the road of this thing already. You were already so on your way to death and sin that you, you were pretty much dead in sin. Even though you were going along with what everyone else is doing in the world, man, what I wasn't doing wasn't that special. You're right. It it probably wasn't. Paul references this, the things that we were, the the, the course of the world, the, the spirit of power that was in the air, those things that we got swept up to, swept up in, the status quo of what everyone else was doing is still sinful, Even though most of us and our culture have convinced ourselves that what we're doing is right or good, or we've reasoned some sort of like justification for it, it just doesn't reclassify it. It's still sin. It's still trespassing. The thing is like nobody escapes this indictment. Nobody's extra special here. No one's got sin that puts them in a special class of sinners that are like extra sinful. 
We're all in the same boat together. In fact, Paul, who's writing this letter, calls himself, in other work, the chief of all sinners. I'm the worst of the lot, he says. We're all in the same boat. Look at verse three. He says, we all once lived, all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. You know, when I read this, I'm just gonna be honest with you. When I read this, I think my knee-jerk reaction is, you know, I'm not that bad. <laughs> like I'm a good person generally on like good days. Like I'm not that bad, Paul, take it easy. I'm not a child of wrath, goodness. Like people, I don't think I'm that bad. And trust me, I know y'all well enough to know you're like good people. And this isn't saying you guys are rotten people. You're, you're good folks. You're nicer people than me on most days, I'm sure. But this actually isn't about being nice and it's not even about being mostly good. It's actually, if we walk away from this offended by what Paul says, we're gonna miss his point altogether. This has nothing to do with how good you can make up or for in your life. Paul's after another idea, way more important idea for us, that we share in the nature of a sinful and fallen humanity. And it's so deeply infected us. It's like in our bones. It's devouring us from the inside out. To be natural for us in this case is like just to keep on sinning. This inherited sin, this like huge concept in Romans 5, 12, Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, you remember in the fall, and death came through sin, so death spread to all because all have sinned. We're all in this boat. This is what's happened to humanity. All have fallen short. But not only do we inherit this, but we actively and willingly participate with the way of sin in our lives, don't we? I do. I, I know what I'm up to, and I willingly go along with it. And I act in ways that I know are not in keeping with God's good ways. You know why? Because it's so hard to, to live in a way that's like in keeping with God's ways. His good, even though I know it's good, it's so hard. And we know that the sin is so deeply rooted in us, it's planted in us, one of the ways that we can identify that if you're thinking, no, nah, I'm really, I'm not that bad. How good are you at pointing out the problems in other people's lives? Like we're pros at that, right? I mean, I've seen social media. Um, you guys, we're experts at being able to notice what's wrong with other people, right? And everyone has issues. Everyone has problems. Everyone has things that we could probably find something pretty easy to point out in somebody, in, like anybody else, but not us, right? We're the one exception to humanity. No, I, I know, we all know that that's not totally honest or true. And yet in the sin, it's so deeply rooted in us. We, even when we know this, we, we tell stories to ourselves. We justify, we like reason. We bend over backwards to do some gymnastics to make our sin somewhat reasonable. Like, well, when you consider what I'm dealing with, Sean, that, that's why I had to act like a jerk because of my situation. We justify, right? That's how, this is evidence that sin is so deeply rooted in us. It's even convincing us that it's okay. Sin hides in plain sight in our lives just behind our pride. 
you can see how there's no amount of good that we can do, we can get busy doing in our lives that's just gonna like make up for or overcome this, this infection that we have, this disease that plagues all of humanity. And all of this, folks, you're thinking, Sean, what a downer. Gosh, dude, this isn't meant to make you feel bad. This is just like, can we have an honest talk? We got problems. Things are broken. And they're equally broken in all of us. Sin has made our souls like dry and cracked soil. These huge chasms in the soil that are longing for living water. The reason that Paul has to make this point, and the reason that I want us to really take a good hard look at this and be honest with ourselves about sin is because when we open up those cracks in our dry soil of our lives, that, will, that living water has a place to fill. That living water pours out over us. But, and we can't receive that living water. We can't receive that healing. We can't receive that life unless we're first honest with the fact that we are dead in sin. We have to. And I hope this makes sense to you because only then, when we realize the unhealth of our own sin and death that's in us, only then can we really, really hear what Paul's trying to tell us next. Look at verse four. But God, we could, we could go home on that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Amen. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This snippet of scripture is like coming to the summit of a mountain in Paul's work. And again, he says it in verse eight, in case you miss it the first time, friends, he's writing to a church just like this. Uh, he says in verse eight, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. You, had, you get no credit for this. This isn't something you can perform or do. It's only this grace of God, this unmerited gift, this uncalled for generosity and kindness to us that we're saved by his action, not ours. Verse nine clears it up, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Amen. When Michelle and I were dating, honey, you, you remember this. When we would get in the car together and try and go somewhere, we would end up lost every single time. Like, like really lost. One time we were heading up to her parents' house and we had, you know, music going on. This, this was before cell phones. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's cell phones, but we had pagers at most. Like we just didn't have cell phones before the iPhone. This is long before like, you know, a phone could tell you where to go. We had to... Um, we had to like use a map. It's a, it's a piece of paper that has like roads on it. It's crazy. It's like if you printed out Google Maps, that's what you have, right? So we had this and we were in my little white Tercel, two door little thing, gray gas mileage, heading out to her parents' house. And it was like kind of cold, but it wasn't snowing where her parents lived. So we're on the road. We drive for like 
two hours. Her parents are only an hour away from us. We finally, we're up in the snow. I think somewhere near Tahoe or Truckee or something. And we get off and we use a payphone, which is this booth that has a phone in it. And you put quarters in, you call people. And you had to know their number by heart. This is like a, the dark ages, people. And we called her mom and dad and we said, is this snowing where you all are? I said, no, what, where are you? We don't know. So we had to like ask somebody, where are we? What? We were so lost. And every time we'd get in the car and get lost, there would inevitably be some argument about like, that was your exit. No, it wasn't. You don't know. That's, you're supposed to go here. Get in this lane. It was this, there's always this argument. And it was always because, I'll take the heat on this one, because I was so confident I knew where I was going. And how dare you suggest otherwise? <laughs> Isn't it like this with Jesus in life? We are like so confident we know where we're going. And we're going to like barrel ahead for hours. We're like so committed to this. We're so lost and we don't even know it. But God in his grace comes to us on the side of the freeway or some, wherever he finds us. When we realize, man, where am I? And says, you need to turn around. Let me show you. We can so easily entertain ourselves and justify ourselves and reason our lostness. Like, I'm not really lost. I just took a huge detour. Okay, fine, whatever. But when Jesus enters into the picture and his resurrection actually leads us on another way, there's not just this one road that leads us to death, but there's another way, and it's Jesus and the resurrection. When we know that that's an option, that's not good enough. We actually have to turn our life around and head in that direction. We've got to go. And he compels us to go. This is what I think Paul's getting at when he's trying to describe just how lost we are. Like, friends, you're lost. And you've got to turn around. There is another way. And this way, by the grace of God, is a way that is littered with the grace of God. It not only opens up this way to us, but it, we continue to find God's mercy in it and his grace in it. We're free from the sting of sin and condemnation and guilt and death. We don't have to hide from that stuff. We can actually just be open about it and honest and put it before the Lord. We don't have to pretend anymore so that we know where we're going when in fact we just don't know where we're going. We don't have to do that anymore. Because God has first motioned to us and shown us the life that we're on, the path that we're on. And he's given us this grace in the forgiveness of, his, of our sins in Jesus. And he's shown us and opened us a new way to us, the resurrection, life. We can actually turn around and go with him. And the thing is, when we turn around and go with him, nobody gets to brag about this. Why? Because you were lost and you had no idea, but God showed you and you cooperated and went with them. You don't get to brag about that. None of us do because this was a gift of God. God makes us and only God can rescue us. It's the way this works. We're not the lead story and the lead role in this story. If you want to know why the church is so beautiful, it's certainly not because we have worked this out for ourselves or we've got the right theology or we've done everything we have not done everything right that's not why the church is beautiful and wonderful and that's not what makes us who we are as the church what makes us who we are is that we are a people who have received this 
interruption by God in our lives and said, yes, this is right, this is good. And I wanna cooperate with you. I wanna put my trust in the way of Jesus and go with you, Lord. If you're a Christian and you have received this gift, Paul has some other words for us in just a second. But if you're not a Christian, you've not received that gift. If you've not put your trust in this other way that God opens up for us, can I invite you? Because the Lord is inviting you. Can I just say it out loud? You're welcome to come. You've heard it now. There is another way. And you can actually decide, even with all your questions and your objections and your hesitations, you can even now say, Lord, I don't know much about how this works, but I'm going to turn my life. I'm going to come with you. I trust you. I'm going to learn even to put my trust in you and walk with you. You can decide to do that. And you don't have to have it all together. Why? Because it's not you who turns your life around anyways, but the grace of God that comes upon you, that all you have to do is receive that gift and cooperate with it. That's how Christians are made Christians. And you're welcome to that. Come talk to me after the service or any of our leaders. We'd be happy to talk more with you about that. If you are a Christian, that means you've received this gift of God and you're following Jesus. Paul writes another sentence for us. Verse 10, check this out. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanships, created in Christ Jesus for good works. What good works? In Jesus, we are a new creation. And in Jesus, we are this masterpiece of the craftsman that is God. And we are purpose brought to life, not just to walk around as like, uh, you know, that we get to brag about the grace of God or something, but actually to get to the work of God's grace, to participate with him in what he's doing in the world. Likely you came to an understanding or a knowledge of God because someone else did something or shared something with you, told you some story, invited you into their home, loved you, showed you something. These are those kinds of good works. That God's saying, I've saved you. Now participate with this grace so that others would come to know me as well. Forgiveness, mercy, love. These are the good works that we have been rescued from death by grace to get to work doing for the purposes of God. What purposes, friends, has God already invited you to that you're conveniently ignoring even today? What invitation has God put on the table in your life and said, you ready to respond to this? What is that? What are those ways in which maybe God has said, do you notice this part of your life you keep from me? There's so many questions we could ask knowing that we've received God's grace. How, ways that we can respond. God, how do you want us to respond? What are those areas in our life that we can participate with this gift of grace and this new life we have in Jesus. As we think about that, we actually get to act on it as well this morning as we come to the table and feast on the grace of God in the body and blood of his son, Jesus. And that this feast wouldn't just be some sweet little remembrance. Oh yeah, Jesus died one time for us. That is nice, that's a big deal. But this food that is given to us is his body and his blood and actually is the food by which God empowers us to respond to him and the means by which the Holy Spirit fills us and compels us to get to the good works of God that he's purposed us for by his grace.
If you want to know how to get in on this, how to get caught up in the work of God, first come to the table and respond. Eat for this journey that we have ahead. Let God and his grace continue to empower us along that way. Let's come to the table as we feast on the goodness of God this morning. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.